Well, good morning. Good morning. All right, so good to see you all here on this beautiful day. My name is Thomas. I'm one of your pastors here at Parkview. And uh, as Will mentioned, we are continuing our series on the definition of a whole disciple. And so uh, I don't know about your family, and this time of year, not so much, but we tend to do a few puzzles. Okay, I don't know if you have a puzzling family, puzzle family. We do some puzzles. Now, uh, puzzles are fun. Uh, it's fun to get that sense of we're working on the same thing, working to sort of build the same picture. You've got usually a lovely scene, you know, a ballpark or some ducks on a pond or something. Uh, but there's always that point toward the end of the puzzle, at least in our family, I, I had to find this out the hard way. We get toward the end and there's that exciting moment. Everyone's, you know, there's just a handful of pieces left and you're just about to get done. Now, in, uh, in our family, what happens is then we find out, uh, oh no, we're missing five pieces. Rats. Okay, what do we do? And then suddenly, mysteriously, pieces start emerging from people's pockets. Okay, they've been holding out on us because they wanted to be the last one, put the last, very last piece in. Okay, so this is just a hilarious game of sort of, I guess I have one. You're going to put one out there? You're going to put... Um, but the, the fun of the puzzle is seeing the final picture, right? Of seeing the completed thing. Um, it's so frustrating when you miss a piece, but when you put it all together, we've, we've done this thing together, we've, we've built it, and it's beautiful and complete. Um, and of course, what's important about the puzzle is having the picture on the front, be practically impossible to work together to build something unless we all knew what we were trying to make. And so as we think about being a whole church, forming whole disciples, uh, we need to have the same picture in mind. What are we actually making? Uh, what is our definition? How will we know when we succeeded? Put that, those last pieces together uh, to fulfill this mission that we have received. And so this, this series is really about clarifying that uh, completely for us, or at least hoping to. And so our definition of a whole disciple, put simply, is this. A whole disciple is a forgiven child of God who is taking the next step to learn Jesus, love Jesus, and live Jesus. So in each week, we're taking one little dimension of that definition and, and really filling it out. And today, we're in learning Jesus, uh, which will be in Ephesians 4. So if you'd like to join me in Ephesians 4, that's where... Uh, we will be. I hope as we proceed through this series in each week, we got three more weeks, well, including today, we got three weeks left, We're talking about learning, loving, and living left, um, that you'll come away both with a plan for your own growth. It can be easy to sort of get overwhelmed. We've got a whole Bible to learn from. We've got all these people around us to learn from, and, and so much that we could be doing, and programming, and yada, 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 um, to just kind of get lost in that. Um, so to use this as we work through it as a plan for your own growth. Uh, to think, here's some categories I can think through um, and always be able to find a place that I could be taking a next step. We'll never get to the end of who Jesus is. Um, secondly, uh, as a way to organize your encouragement uh, and support of others as they grow. Um, so we're not just a church that's all about us and ourselves growing, but about others. So it can help you as you organize your thinking about your encouragement of others, whether it be in a community group or as you're teaching children or whatever it happens to be. And finally, maybe you're here and you're still sort of exploring Christianity, exploring the claims of Jesus. I hope there's an opportunity for you to sort of get an insider's look at how do Christians understand the way that we actually grow as people, uh, because that's what we're going to be talking about. Now, Mark did a great job last week of pointing out how crucial it is that we think of ourselves as being adopted into the family of God, and that from that sense of forgiveness uh, and that reality, that new status that we have, forgiven, brought into the family of God, we are, we belong to him. Everything else, every bit of growth in the Christian life proceeds from that. It's not that we grow our way into 
Christianity, but actually we're brought into the faith and we grow through what we have received. Um, but as I said, we're learning today. We're learning Jesus. We're learning about learning uh, Jesus. So Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24 is what uh, we'll focus on. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We'll see our big idea, our big picture. This is the only thing you walk away with. That's, that's fine. Whole disciples must learn Jesus. Whole disciples must learn Jesus. God has given us the gift of our minds, our intellect, our, our thoughts, our, our imaginations, um, our mindset. And so we must steward those. We must use those in a way that helps us grow in Jesus. So in this passage, we're going to see why we must learn Jesus, how we can do it. We're going to get intensely practical today. And then where to start on this aspect of discipleship. Uh, so before we begin, let's pray together, if you would join me. Lord, we ask that you would open our minds now to learn all that you have for us to learn today. In particular, Lord, we pray that you would send your spirit into our minds to be our teacher and guide, just as we have sung and prayed together. Um, where can we go uh, but to you? You have the words of eternal life. We need your light to come on our darkened eyes, to open up our ears. So bring, please, please bring the Bible to life for us today as it never has before, to change our minds, to, to show us where we have room to grow as we learn Jesus. Don't let us rest on what we have learned so far and not grow on to more. Keep us thinking also, Lord, as always, not just of ourselves, but about those around us, those you would bring to mind for us to encourage and support with these words we'll learn today, uh, as we hope to become a whole church deeply formed by Jesus that forms whole disciples. And most of all, as we have sung, as we've prayed, show us Christ. Show us Christ. Even as we get intensely practical, Lord, show us Christ, whom we endeavor to learn from today. In his name, we pray. Amen. Okay, why, how, and where to start? Let's get going. Why must we learn Jesus? Verse 17 shows us right away. Look what he says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. That's a pretty assertive statement. This I say and I testify in the Lord, Paul says. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. We must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of our minds. Now, uh, Paul is sort of mixing two ideas here. First, we think of a walk. Uh, when we think of walk, we're thinking of the whole of life. Uh, walking was sort of the Old Testament, especially Hebrew way of talking about your whole manner of living. 
uh, it, it, it brought up your thought processes, but also your habits and your routines, uh, your actions and what you did, um, the things that you loved and didn't love. It was your, your way of life, your walk. And notice the connection that Paul makes between walking, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. The connection between our walk, that is our pursuit of Jesus, our way of living, and our mindset. In this case, Paul is saying we must reject a futile mindset and embrace a completely new way of thinking if we're going to walk in a way that honors the Lord. So that may seem obvious, that may seem clear. We must change our way of thinking if we're going to follow Jesus. There's our simple answer. Why must we learn Jesus? Because our minds are in so many ways the wellspring of any growth for us at all. Um, Now, this might seem obvious, but keep in mind Paul's audience. He is talking to the Ephesian church. And in fact, this letter, of course, it would have been read in a service just like this one, maybe, maybe in a room probably a little smaller than this, but not much. Um, it would have been read to them, and it would have been Paul. I testify to you, Christians, you must not walk in the futility of your minds. You must walk uh, in the wisdom of the Lord, uh, and so forth. That's not how you learn Christ. This is Paul's call not for unbelievers, but for believers to be renewed in the spirit of their minds, to be made new, to bring all of their intellect, all of their mind, all of their thought processes, their mental habits to the Lord for his examination, correction, challenge, and change. And in so doing, to grow in Jesus. Now, we cannot move into, we mentioned the other sort of dimensions of discipleship, of of loving Jesus, of living out who Jesus is without first learning truth about God in our brains, in our minds. We have to learn the Bible. We have to learn who we are in Jesus. We have to learn and change at deep levels. And all of that flows from a new mind, a renewed mind in Jesus. Now, what about that word futility? Not a word we use all that often. And even in the Bible, it's not used that much. But what Paul's addressing here, it's, it's not simply a lack of knowledge although that's, that's important. Uh, it's not simply a lack of understanding. It's primarily, think of that word, it's a matter of effectiveness. We think of Sisyphus and the great, uh, the great myth of Sisyphus, rolling the stone up the hill only for it to roll right back down. That's our image of futility. That's what we have to reject. Notice it does not say in the emptiness or the stupidity or so, of their minds or in the low IQ, as if it's a matter of brain power and, and intellectual potential. Um, being a whole disciple is not a matter of just growing your IQ. Um, I think we, we all know people who, who know immensely amounts of information, incredible intellects, but when it comes to the matters of spiritual life, they just seem to just not really get it. And so it's not that. We know that even the simplest person can be a follower of Jesus. Um, the youngest child can begin to grasp the truths of Scripture in ways that many adults can't. Um, even those with disabilities, anything. We can, anyone can be a follower of Jesus. Um, I think of the book of Acts when, you might remember, we were just in the book of Acts, and Peter and John came before the Jewish council, and they bore witness to who Jesus was. They just healed this man, and the council's impression of them was, well, they were simple, uneducated men, but that they had been with Jesus. Uh, I, I always like that story. The word uh, uh, uneducated is, the word literally means unlettered, and it, we probably would translate it ir- illiterate. They, they, it's a good chance they didn't know how to read, at least at that, you know, at that point. 
when they first met Jesus and they began to learn and grow in the scriptures, they were very simple people, and yet they were deeply formed in Jesus. They had learned Jesus by being with him. And so futility of mind doesn't have to do with the lack of brain power. Well, but then how do we learn Jesus? How do we do it? Well, we're actually sort of given a formula here. Take, take a look at verse 20. Uh, he bookends that statement of all the ways we don't do it, all the consequences of the futility of mind by saying this. He says, but that, that we just mentioned, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him, notice the sequence, heard about him, were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Zero in on that phrase, renewed in the spirit of your minds. This, in the end, this must be the sort of final answer. Why must we learn Jesus as whole disciples? Is because all of us, every single one of us in this room, none of us is opting out, none of us is exempt, none of us has plateaued, I hope, in our learning of Jesus. We all have a way that we can be continually taking the next step to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. There is more to Jesus. There is always more to God. There's more that we can learn, more that we can grow in. And so uh, that is why we must learn Jesus. Whole disciples must learn Jesus. But let's continue on. And as I said, we're going to get very practical here in verses 20 through 23 that we just mentioned we'll see how we can learn Jesus. Now, if you picked up one of those, um, one of these bookmarks, these will be handy as we move forward, and we're, we're actually going to have a little booklet we'll give you at the end of this series, but we want this to be a reference for you, like we said, as a bookmark, or as a, as a outline for growth for you, as you consider what a next step for growth might be on a week-to-week, month-to-month basis, but also as you help others. Um, so you can refer to that or pick one up at the Connect Center as you make your way out. Uh, but we'll see, we're going to be talking about these three here on the left under the heading of learning Jesus. That is that whole disciples learn Jesus by submitting to God's word, by embracing our true identity in Christ, and finally by growing with God's people. We think of those as sort of the upward, the inward, and the outward moves of learning Jesus. Submitting to God's word. We'll talk about that one first. Whole disciples to grow, to learn Jesus, we must submit to God's word. I hope, if you've been around Parkview for really any amount of time, that this will be just no surprise to you at all that we would emphasize the word of God, the Bible. Uh, if you've been here even just one week, even if this is your first time, I hope you notice what we do when we gather. We, we are called to worship from the Bible. Uh, we sing songs that are full of scripture. We gather in our small groups, our community groups, and we study the Bible and apply it together to our lives. Uh, we, the Apostles' Creed, for instance, is one of the received traditions of the church. We love, uh, which is just a summary of what the Bible teaches, we love the Bible and we keep it at the center of everything that we do here. And there's a very simple reason for that. If we're convinced that we are destined and intended to be conformed to who Jesus is, to look like him, to imitate him, to, to, to work in a way that pleases God, then we only have one reliable source of information, ultimately reliable, about who God is, and it's who he has revealed himself to be in this word. There's nowhere else we can go with sheer ultimate confidence that what we learn is true to who he is. 
if we are all going to be looking at the same picture, forming ourselves in the same way and encouraging others in the same way, then we must have one reliable guide for who God is, what he loves and what he hates, the way that God himself thinks. He is a thinking God. That's why we need God's word. And by this, we can orient each piece of our lives in that puzzle to fit in a way that actually aligns with who God is. So we need to submit. We chose that word on purpose, to submit our lives to God's word, uh, not as those who sit above the word, deciding what it might say or what we wish it said or uh, our opinions on what it uh, says. You notice, I hope you notice that as we preach, we intend to show you what God says. Uh, even when it's hard, even when it hurts, even when there's parts of it that grate against our culture in one way or another uh, to accept all that uh, God has taught us. Uh, we hear him, we are taught him, uh, verse 21. We've heard about him, we are taught in him because the truth is in Jesus. And so as we gaze at Jesus, as we gaze at his words in the New Testament, as we gaze at, at what he would have understood as the Bible, the Old Testament for him before all the, all the New Testament came to us, uh, we learn the words of Jesus. We, we learn what he loved and what he hates. As, as we learn the words of his followers, as we are today, Paul, who is one of the followers of Jesus, um, we learn from a God, our God who speaks. He speaks to us and gives us his word to inform and form and transform us through his word. Uh, and so we need, we need the whole Bible. And by the way, to give you a behind the scenes, this was like draft one of our mission statement, okay? To have the whole Bible teach us the whole Jesus so we can become whole disciples. And someone said, Thomas, that's a little too fancy. I said, I understand. Okay, but now I can say it, okay? We need the whole Bible. Because without the whole Bible, we, we tend to settle for sort of half of Jesus, the half of us that we like, you know? And the, the parts that kind of grate against us, we sort of leave those out. We need the whole Jesus, which means we need the whole Bible. And like I said, the word for us is the fountainhead of all growth. We learn truth about who God is. We learn that God is generous, for instance, in God's word. And then when it comes to loving Jesus, we, we learn that we don't love our neighbors as much as we ought to. And so that's why we're not generous. We actually don't believe that God is generous to us. And we tend to not be generous with others. So then once we learn that in our minds and we begin to see our hearts transformed, we love him, then we begin to live it out and, and sacrificially give. Do you see how the fountainhead of growth comes from learning who God is, then having our hearts changed by who God is, believing in the truth of the gospel that he is who he says he is, and then changing the way that we act and live. We, our, our faith is a faith with content, with truth about who God is. And so, uh, Jen Wilkin reminds us that the head and the heart and the hands are all intimately connected. We cannot sort of take them piecemeal. She says, and I, I just, I've always loved this quote. You've probably heard me say it before, but the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. If we want to feel deeply about God, we must learn to think deeply about God. And so that's why whole disciples, we submit to God's word. And so we've, give, we've written a couple little statements about what would health look like in this area, and here's what we've written for this one. A whole disciple devotes consistent time to study the word, goes to the Bible to understand how to navigate everyday issues, seeks opportunities to expand his or her understanding, including reading good Christian books and other ways to learn about the Bible. So I don't know where you're at in learning Jesus by submitting to God's word, but I think every single one of us can find a way to take a next step in this today. Secondly, uh, we see that whole disciples, to learn Jesus, we must embrace our true identity in Christ. Now, knowledge about God. We've just 
Have, did I spend enough time convincing you? We need to study God's word. We need this. We need truth. Um, and yet, knowledge about God is necessary, but insufficient. Simply knowing, simply being able to sign the statement of faith. I, that's right. I believe that. Important, and yet not sufficient to learn Jesus. Um, one of the scariest verses, I think, maybe in the whole New Testament is in James 2, uh, where he says, you believe that God is one, meaning you know that you're monotheist, right? Uh, Good job, well done. So do the demons. And they shudder because of that truth. And so he's saying, what? They've got perfect theology. Okay, they know it all. And yet, what has it done for them? And so that's what, when we think of embracing our true identity in Christ, it's a matter of taking those truths that we say, yes, we believe that in our minds, mentally, and taking them down into every little crack and and nook and cranny of the way that we see the world, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see the world around us, our workplace, the the people around us, the situations that we're in, our past, our future, the news, everything, and recreating and rearranging all of our mental furniture and wallpapering over the entirety of our world with the truths of, of the Bible. It's actually getting a transformed mind, what Paul in, in 2 Corinthians calls the mind of Christ. We can get the mind of Christ. Sign me up. Okay, here's how we do it. We embrace our true identity in Christ. And this is really, by the way, incredibly good news. Um, well, let's look at the passage real quick again. Verse 20, remember, that is not the way you learn Christ. Now we see the way that we do. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, what belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And notice 23 is this hinge verse between these two activities in the Christian life of putting off the old self and putting on. What, what links them? What's, what connects them? Verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on then, part two, put on the new self created after the likeness of God. That's another way of saying the image of God. Remember Genesis 1 in the image of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is how God restores our true selves to ourselves. This is how God is making you back into what he intended for us to be. This is incredibly good news, especially if you are like just about all of us, I think in this room, who have looked everywhere else to find a new sense of self. Many people look to the future and they say, I know, I know today myself, I have a problem with stress. I'm ma- not managing my stress well. I'm angry all the time. I'm lashing out at my kids, the people I should really appreciate. I'm struggling, but in three years, I'm going to retire. <laughs> and I'm going to be new. I'm going to be the new Steve, you know, or whatever. I'm going to be the new Thomas. Uh, just give me a few years. And I can look out into the future and say, aha, a new self is on the horizon. It's out there. And yet now I'm kind of stuck until that moment. Now, some of you have made it to those moments and you've found the disappointment that comes with them. Now, some people look to the past and sadly lament uh, what happened back there, uh, something that you did, something that someone did to you, something, whatever it was that happened, an accident or a, a sin or a who knows what, you look back and you think, you know, I don't really love who I am right now and I feel trapped because of what happened in 2003. And so I'd love to be new, but it's never really going to happen for me. Some of you, maybe you think, you know, it's a matter of inheritance. (laughs) 
you know? You feel so frustrated, you look at uh, your family situation or whatever it was, your parents, and you just you could sort of lament, I, I really could have been a different kind of person, really could have had a different kind of life, but you know, my parents did X, Y, Z, or whatever it happened to be. You feel stuck. There's no newness for me because of my circumstances. If you are a Christian, here's the reality for you. Here's what Ephesians 4 says about you. You have been given an entirely new self. You have been made new. This is not an eventual reality that you will someday obtain. Uh, It is a here and now. God has given you a new self. Once and for all, you are not ultimately defined by the worst moments of your life, but by Jesus's best moments. And if you will continually learn Jesus, this lifelong process of learning him, you will find that the worst parts of you, the old self, are slowly melting away like the snow in the spring. We just watched it happen. Some days it all seems to come back at once. (laughs) But it's going away. Okay, winter is ending. And you will see the best parts of yourself within you, latent, hidden, emerging, divine beauty is emerging like the buds on that tree in your front yard. Inevitably, continually coming out. And God is doing that by renewing your mind, by embracing your identity in Christ. At the heart of that, is embracing the truth that no matter what is happening to me, no matter what has happened and no matter will, I am in the hands of a God who cares enough to change my circumstances for my good and his glory. When we actually believe that at the center of our being, whatever happens tomorrow, I can know that God is treating me not as I deserve, but as Jesus deserved. Because on the cross, Jesus got what I deserve. We swapped. And so now, no matter what happens, the question can never come to mind, why is God whatever it happens to be? We can, and by the way, sometimes absurdly hard to do. But no matter what happens, we can rest in confidence because it's been revealed, remember, because he's been told to us, God is treating us not as we deserve, but as Christ would deserve. If God is really my perfect heavenly Father, and Jesus' sacrifice really earned me a place in the family of God, then God is treating me like his perfect son. No matter what, I am in the hands of a loving God who takes every concern seriously, who laments with me, who rejoices with me, who is leading me always into green pastures and still waters and rest for my soul. That is the work of the Christian life, of the mind in particular, to take that truth and do your very best to believe it with all your heart. Although that's next week. <laughs> oh, that's next week. Um, but don't you see that this is just spiritual dynamite waiting to take off in your hearts, in yours and, and in those around you? To embrace this true identity means to learn Jesus at the deepest levels of our, our minds, to grow in Christ. Now finally, uh, to do all this, we must grow with God's people. So we submit to God's word, we embrace our true identity in Christ, and then we grow with God's people. Um, So maybe I'll just ask a few questions as a way of framing this. First, how can we know that we're, for instance, we've just spent a long time talking about the Bible, how can we know that we're reading it accurately? That we, what we think we've learned isn't just a good idea, 
uh, but what God is actually saying. There's a big difference. Um, my opinion versus what God is actually teaching. How can we actually know? Uh, how can we know, uh, to our second point, how can we know that, we, that, that part of our personality, part of who, what, the, the behavior we see in our life, uh, our hearts, is it part of the old self and we ought to get rid of it, be renewed in our minds and get rid of it? Or is it part of the new self, emerging and growing in a good thing? It's, that's not an easy question to answer. It's, it's sort of hard um, to, to look at ourselves. I remember I was on a hike with some guys. Uh, see one of them, a couple of them back there. And I remember at one point in the hike, um, we were like three days into this hike and we we're camping and no one's showered and we're just kind of a mess. And uh, we're like, how are we doing? And, and one of the guys kind of gives himself a sniff. And uh, I remember uh, one of the other guys saying, look, you can't smell yourself. Okay, you don't know. You don't know what you smell like, you know? You, can, you, you need someone else. And he came up to him and he said, let me tell you, you stink, <laughs> okay? That's what we need. Okay, we need people around us to tell us what we actually look like, what we're actually doing. Is this in line with who God is? Um, we tend to get smell blind. We tend to get spiritually blind in the same way. And so that's why we need to grow with God's people. We need the community of believers to help us grow. Um, and so God has given our church, here we are, this divine responsibility to be a, a thick learning community where we are here to help one another grow. That's what we're here for. Uh, and in fact, one of the greatest resources that you have in learning Jesus is sitting within 10 feet of you. And a lot of them within 100 feet of you, okay? Uh, one of the deepest, most precious resources you have. There are people in this room, a stone's throw away from you, who have walked through some of the same Christian challenges in the Christian life that you have walked. They've stumbled over the same spots. They've, they've gotten the... One of my favorite things to ask older believers who are more mature than me is what would you have told me in this situation? What would you, or what would you have told yourself when you went through this? There are people here, they've, they've raised kids. They've, they've dealt with having to pick this job or that job. They've, they've gone deep in the Bible to answer the questions that have perturbed your soul right now. And so we can go to them to learn uh, Jesus. Now, would anyone, I'm guessing no, but would, would anyone here be bothered if someone up after the service came and said, hey, will you help me learn Jesus? Will you help me more, learn more? I would guess no, probably not bothered, right? I would be happy to help. Um, but the question is, would each of us be humble enough to be the one to walk up and ask? Do we believe that the people around us have something to teach us, something to show us about who Jesus is? We really do. We firmly believe that. Sometimes I worry. We're a city of education. We prize knowledge. We prize learning, um, uh, which is wonderful. I'm so thankful for it. And by the way, the Apostle Paul is not saying that our minds are bad or evil, but that they're full of potential. Potential for great good, as we see, and potential to lead us astray. And so that's why we must be diligent, especially to help those around us and be helped by those around us. So let's have the humility to ask those around us to help us learn. And so, uh, like I said, we wrote a little description. What would this look like? What would health maybe look like in this area? So it says this, a whole disciple learns Jesus by consistently devoting time and energy to learn from and alongside God's people in various ways. Sunday worship, community groups, informal gatherings. A whole disciple seeks out wisdom and insight and sustained mentorship from other 
members? Do you see yourself moving and being transformed to learn Jesus with those around you and helping those around you do the same? On that note, if, if you're still thinking about taking another step into uh, our community here, there's an easy way for you to do that, and that's the membership class that's coming up this Wednesday evening from 6 to 8 here. It's in room 108, or you can find more information. You can scan a little QR code right in front of you in your seat. Um, so how can we learn Jesus? Eminently practical, extra practical, submit to God's word, embrace your true identity in Christ, and grow with God's people. Like I said, a roadmap for growth for you and as you encourage those around you. Categories to think through as we do so. Now, that was a lot. <laughs> um, and if, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if at this moment you're feeling a little overwhelmed. There's a lot to think about. Learning Jesus, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. It's not a simple thing. It's incredibly important. And I've thrown a lot at you. Maybe you're even feeling a bit guilty, knowing Remember, forgiven child of God, taking the next step, not the next leap, not the next sprint until you're exhausted, not the next marathon of exhaustion, but the next step. Maybe you're lamenting time you've lost. I could have learned more. There's more I could have done. Well, no matter where you are at in learning Jesus, this is the perfect moment to start fresh in learning him. And that's where we can start. We see that actually if you look at Ephesians 4.1, which is sort of the heading of this entire thing that we're, that we're learning from right now, says this. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Think about that. God is calling us, and through this, he's calling us to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've already been called. Notice he does not say, live in a manner that will make you worthy of being called. He does not say, live in a manner that will prove your worth. There's someone I ought to call down there. He says, live in accordance with your new status, with who you really are, with who you deeply are. Don't we all wonder if the old self is not really old at all, but is actually who we really were the whole time? And the new self is just a mirage that appears from time to time. According to the Bible, just the opposite is true. What God is doing in your life, because of his love, because of his mercy, because of his work in you, as, of course, as we partner with him, is bringing new beauty into this world because of what he has done, because of what God has already done, called you with his own calling, unearned, undeserved, from a father who loves us. To put it simply, we are whole disciples, forgiven children of God, who are doing what? Taking the next step. We can do that together.